Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My name is Lauren, this is Liam. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. We give a special shout out, especially to our live viewers. And uh, for anyone who's listening to us on an audio only platform like iTunes, Spotify, I think we're on Google Play as well. Yeah. Yep, all of those. Um, so yeah, if you're watching this live and you would like to chip in, uh, Super Chats will be read at the end of the stream. Um, we're going to go through all of them, just not during all of the segments. And if you would like to support the show, which we would always appreciate, you can, of course, always head on over to blazetv.com slash Lauren and subscribe using the code Lauren. That's going to save you, I think, $10 off yeah. your annual subscription. Plus, it helps us keep the lights on over here. Also, uh, we're yes. soon going to be joined by Dave Rubin on The Blaze. Yeah, which yeah. is super exciting. So not only do you get our show, Ali's show, um, who else? Chad Prather, Glenn Beck, uh, Graham Allen, John Miller. But you're Crowder. also going to be get. Yeah. I think I mentioned Crowder. Oh, yeah, you're also going to be getting Dave Rubin as well on Blaze TV. So it's very exciting. If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to do that. And of course, you know, like, share, subscribe. All, all the good stuff. Mm. Um, we have a, I have a lot to say <laughs> this episode. This is one of those episodes where almost every topic I'm like boiling with rage, but in a good way. Uh, we're going to be talking about late term abortion. Always a fun topic. Then the Young Turks raging about Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, then Bill Burr, he has a new comedy special called Paper Tiger. And finally, we're going to finish off the conversation with a little chat about cuckoldry. Excellent. Always a good time here. Uh, before we get into it, though, we did just want to say something for the it's the 18th anniversary of 9-11. That's right. And yeah. I never know what to say when it comes to stuff like this. But, uh, mm. of course, you know, I, I think at some point today, just thought and prayer for the people who died and, of course, their family members. And one of the posts that I saw that really made me appreciate how lucky all the rest of us are is that on September 10th for 3,000 people, that was the last time they hugged their families and were able to tell the people they cared about that they loved them. So uh, definitely make sure to do that today. I think that's one of the best things we can do in remembrance of all the people who died is just be sure that we're living our lives to the fullest and letting the people who we love know how much we mean to each other. Um, with that being said, though, late-term abortion. This is an issue we've discussed on the show semi-regularly. Yeah. Abortions are not like wine, by the way. They do not get better as they age. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, they do not. Yeah. So, you know, please, it's not that difficult, really. This We have an extreme case today. That yeah, we're talk this about, is an extreme case. Yeah. But, uh, yes, like wine. Thank you very much. That's a terrifying imagery I just got. Um, so, yeah, we, we talk about abortion on the show and we've been kind of gravitating specifically toward late term abortion because I feel yeah. like there are these activists who are trying to paint the conversation in terms of those extremes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know on the show we have pro-choice people, we have pro-life people who watch us. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, we really appreciate that both sides are kind of checking us out. And I, I do want to make it clear that I know most pro-choice people are not in favor of late-term abortions. Like, the numbers say that. Um, you know, this is a fringe view, even among pro-choice people. But it seems like for activists who talk about it, it's becoming more and more mainstream. We even had Beto O'Rourke, who seemingly gets on board with the idea of, like, day-before-birth abortions, because it's a, it's a woman's right. Um, yeah, it, this is not standard pro-choice view. Um, there are several states, unfortunately, that are kind of saying, all right, well, you know, as long as the kid's not through the birth canal, it's fair game. Unfortunately, in Canada, we don't have laws on the books dictating what, like, a, a certain point. So we are a place that has late-term abortions on demand. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very disturbing subject. It, it worries me how common it's getting. And, um, you know, whenever we hear people talk about late-term abortions on the activism side, we always hear, oh, there aren't just women who are out there getting late-term abortions for fun. You know, this is, it, it's not like women just wait, to, you know, for kicks and giggles. Uh, if there is a late-term abortion, it's because it's medically necessary and it's a choice they make with their doctor, yada, yada, yada. Uh, they usually say that in response to laws trying to prevent late-term abortions. And I find that it's interesting that they say that because, I mean, A, every abortion law I've ever seen pretty much they always include exemptions for the life of the mother. Yeah, yeah, of course. So if this was actually something where it's it's a life-threatening thing, even if there was a law preventing it, yeah, like, yeah, we're not preventing that. Of course, that, that's protected. And B, uh, you know, if there is a complication with the pregnancy, heaven forbid, or the mother's health, when we're talking about, like, 25 weeks along, 26 weeks along, 27 weeks along, okay, that baby is viable. So, I mean, it makes a lot more sense, I think, to do an emergency cesarean than to say... Let's let's just kill the thing first right. and then vacuum it up as opposed to just cut it. I mean, 
I don't mean to be graphic, but we're in for a graphic conversation here. Um, the reason why I bring this up today specifically is because there's this clip that was put out by the Associated Press that, that pretty much debunks the idea that late-term abortion on demand elective just never happens. No one wants that. It would never, like, here we have this woman sharing her story of a 28-month abortion that's elective like her her health wasn't in danger or anything it's just she didn't want the baby and uh it's actually here we have the the tweet the associated press included with the video they say a woman who didn't learn she was pregnant until 26 weeks along is among thousands who cross state lines to get abortions every year an ap analysis finds the share of out-of-state abortions rose slightly despite a decline in abortions. so I mean, I know whenever we talk about like extreme abortion cases, there's always the tendency to say, oh, this is just pro-life propaganda or fear mongering. This is the Associated Press promoting this story. Almost it seems like as a way to say we need more abortion because she had to travel out of state to get her super late term abortion. Yeah, it was uh, such a shame. She had to, I think, travel to New Mexico. It is a yeah, but, but here, here's this clip in this woman's story. I had the suspicion I was pregnant until about late July. They said that they would be able to help me, but I had to get there before I turned 28 weeks. And so I had less than 10 days. Um, and they said that my procedure would cost about $10,500. Um, so they know who's going to pick them up. So immediately upon release, uh, people had a lot of problems with this clip. That's a that's a shortened version of it. The Total thing was like a minute and a half. You can watch it uh, online on the Associated Press's uh, Twitter page if you want to see the whole thing. Um, but okay, so not only is she kind of advocating for abortion access to viable babies in this clip, um, something which is not a popular position, believe it or not, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. This is like the one thing where everyone, or I think it's like 80% of people are like, I don't I don't know about that's That's, right. yeah, I don't know about that. Um, but she's also making it look like she's the victim here of course yeah because she had to oh no your super late term abortion was expensive and you had to travel for it yeah therefore the only lesson to be learned from this awful story is it should be more convenient i like they just gloss over that she only learned that she was pregnant after 26 weeks yeah it's like you should know before then like you know yes i think of that family guy bit where there's that, that really large lady and she's smoking through a trachea yeah. hole, and then a baby just falls out. Like, Ricky, you know? you're right, I was pregnant. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Like, but, but she's not even that big. It's not like that at all. You know, there's no excuse for this in any no, way. No, it's really not. And the thing is, like, okay, I get that some women don't have regular periods, but it's like, okay, yeah. A, she admits that she was having unprotected sex. It's like she says, oh, I, I was off birth control. I didn't know that, like, as soon as I got off it, that I, I would be fertile. It's like, you're an adult woman who was having sex, like, what did you think was going to happen? Or, or at least was a possibility. So it's like unprotected sex. Apparently you didn't have a period for like six months, which I get not every woman has regular periods, but it's like, you know, after two months, maybe you just take a pregnancy test in case. And then you're like, when we take three, four, five months down the road, it's like, you're still not like, huh, something, something strange. And that's not to mention that there are, there are a ton of symptoms that come with pregnancy, like sore breasts. Um, let's see what else. Um, like, appetite changes weight changes nausea like there's a lot of them in 20 something weeks I, i'd wager you could feel that there's something moving around yeah there, right ali stuckey who's one of the blaze hosts love her podcast she even mentioned commenting on this tweet like that far along you feel the baby moving inside of you so it's like did she think she was just having like the world's worst food poisoning or something like battle of the burritos the going on that in she there? swallowed was just getting really yeah like really did, did you not kind of wonder what was happening mm. I, I don't know i just i have trouble believing that you just didn't know you were pregnant for that long um seems very very questionable to me um so yeah not only did this person screw up not using protections she screwed up not monitoring signs of pregnancy like that's the thing pregnancy tests are super cheap like you just pee on a stick you're, yeah. you're going pee anyways in your day-to-day -day life just pee on a stick. They're not expensive. This didn't need to be a big thing that she avoided or whatever. But yeah, she she screwed up monitoring signs of pregnant. But when she pregnancy, but when she finally did realize that oh, I'm pregnant. Not only does she not take any ownership of the mistakes she has made because it's okay, accidental pregnancies happen. But like she didn't, she doesn't seem to own up to any of it or realizing it for so long. And so she decides to get an abortion. Now, after seeing that AP clip. 
online, which was kind of going viral. Everyone was pretty, I think, shocked to see that. And not only see that it happened, but there was actually people who were promoting the story. Uh, I decided to look up the person, Beth Vial, Vial, not sure how you pronounce it. I wanted to see if she was like a full-time activist. Uh, was she like part of an organization? Was she just a regular person who was willing to share her story of a late-term abortion, whatever? So I Googled her. And what do you know? One of the first things that pop popped up when I Googled her name was an op-ed she wrote for Teen Vogue. Mm. Because, of course, they would want in on this. Yeah. Going back to the Teen Vogue well. Thank you, Teen Vogue. Yeah, again. I mean, this is content of nothing else, right. but I don't understand how you consistently manage, like, on so many different issues to be the worst. Like, this is impressive. It's like, how are you scouring for seemingly the worst people and the worst hot takes to write articles for you. Oh, it's incredible. But also depressing that they're targeting migrants. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we have this one they've done about what it's like to get a late-term abortion and then another article that we covered where it's telling teens how to get abortions without their parents' consent. So it's just yeah. like all together wonderful resource for young women um but yeah so she wrote an op-ed for teen vogue and it's about the same story i hope this didn't happen to her twice but who knows nowadays uh what it was like to get a late a later abortion a late yeah, you know I it's, like it's that term later it's, not yeah. late term just later than some earlier than others maybe right exactly it's not late yet yeah it's not just, late just later right relative term okay um so she says when i finally saw a doctor who could sorry yeah. When I finally saw a doctor who could provide me with an abortion, she said she had to get approval from the hospital board because of hospital policy, which was denied. I cried. I didn't know what I would do. I didn't want to continue the pregnancy because I was too sick, not ready, and I simply couldn't afford it. Okay, so keep in mind, she didn't know that she was pregnant for six months, but apparently this pregnancy had now become such a toll to her health, she could not continue it for the remaining weeks. All right. She says, despite living in Oregon, a state with one of the most progressive abortion laws in the nation, I encountered so many obstacles to accessing abortion just because of my situation. Situation being 26 weeks pregnant at the time. Eventually, my doctor referred me to a clinic in New Mexico, but that meant I had to fly across the country just to get an abortion. And it would be expensive. Because I was later in my pregnancy, the abortion would cost $10,500, another $1,500 for blood work and ultrasounds, and about $1,000 to fly there, my insurance would only cover 200 That was generous. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I don't know why insurance would cover this at all. The clinic told me about the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, an organization that helps people cover the cost of their abortions when they can't afford it. They helped me cover $1,000, and the National Abortion Federation helped me out with another $1,000. It seemed insurmountable, but thanks to some loved ones, I was able to raise the money. All right, so she's she, she doesn't want to go through with the pregnancy because she doesn't have the money, which is okay. It, it does take money to give birth, you know, hospital fees and stuff. Yeah. That should be addressed as well as the cost of any health care. But keep in mind, she managed to raise, I think it's altogether probably about $13,000 for this abortion. So she can raise the money for the abortion. She can't raise it to go through with the pregnancy. And I, I will add that crisis pregnancy centers and different charities out there, if you go to them and say, hey, I'm pregnant, but I don't want to, I don't want to be a mother, parent the child, and I also can't afford hospital fees, they will, a lot of them will provide you with all the costs covered to get you through your pregnancy. Uh, some of them also have stipends throughout the pregnancy to help with things like rent and stuff. And there are also organizations that if you give your child up for adoption, you will be eligible for scholarships to continue your education. So, I mean, you know, there are charities that helped her with her abortion. There are charities that help you if you want to go, you know, give birth, even if you don't want to uh, raise the child yourself. But it's like she, you know, she, she had no, no problem raising the money for the abortion, but just the... To give pregnancy adoption? No, that would have been too much trouble. All right, and she continues, two weeks later, I flew to New Mexico. All right, so keep in mind, she found out she was pregnant at 26 weeks. This is two weeks later, so now we're, we're 28 weeks into the pregnancy, and stayed with a family friend for six days. It was a long process, but I was able to get the abortion I needed. I yeah. needed the abortion. Okay, so I, I have a lot of opinions about this, and the thing is, like, I think whatever we're talking about there's always it's always important to offer like a path to redemption i don't think it's good to condemn someone so entirely that there's i guess no way for them to turn around improve themselves right. whatever i don't think the people standing in line and like yelling at these women as they run into the abortion center are yeah i don't I, I don't think that's the best way to do this but mm. I, you know at the same time 
she not only went through with this, but now she's using her platform to like share her story to encourage rights for more women to do this. So, you know, there are tons of women who have women, had sorry, we're using the term women. Again, girls. Yeah. Right? Like like minors. We yeah, they're they're really encouraging like they're encouraging yeah. this for teens. Yes. Um, you know, there are people who have gone through abortions and now are speaking out about how they regret it. They didn't want to go through with it. They own up to their mistakes. This woman is doing the exact opposite. She is denying any responsibility. Oh, she talks about like, oh, I have PCOS, which is like a hormonal thing. Like, so I didn't know I was pregnant. Uh in she even in this Vogue, Vogue article says, like, oh, well, you know, I had one doctor who had told me that I was infertile it's like well you were on birth control pills before so i don't know if if, if i buy that um yeah it's just like refusal to take any ownership of getting pregnant not knowing she was pregnant and, and all of that and it's like not only did you make a, a very long series of mistakes in my opinion but you're now refusing to acknowledge any wrongdoing and trying to build a platform so that other people can be i guess facilitated to make the same mistake you did and it's it's very very concerning how it seems like these stories or at least the concept of late-term abortion is becoming more and more the norm. Um, like the AP tweet originally did say, say uh, overall abortions, I think, are going down, which is an amazing thing. But it's like, again, this is not a pro-life, pro-choice issue. This is, that was a viable baby that she chose on a whim to terminate because she just didn't want to go through with it. And it, it was heartbreaking because in that tweet thread of the Associated Press uh, video clip, there were tons of people who were saying, hang on, hang on a second, I was born at 26 weeks. And I, I think at 26 weeks, the viability rate is something like 90%. Like this is not a, you know, roll the dice, is the baby going to make it? Like, no, like we have the technology, they would be fine. And it's, it's just, it's inexcusable. I can't, I can't believe that this is something that is like not only happening, but it's like we're celebrating it. Absolutely. But some people find it empowering to have abortions, right? That's, yeah. That's a new thing. And I mean, I would love to say that, you know, this is a fringe, I don't know, but it's like, like I mentioned Beto O'Rourke, I feel like among the left, as fringe as this is, the people in power are starting to embrace it. And it doesn't make any sense. I know like in Canada, there are some people who want to introduce an abortion limit that would be six months. So that's still a very, very generous limit, okay? And even that's being met with some opposition. It's like, how how long do you need to make your decision? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, because this is like, there is a, a clock running here. And, uh, you know, speaking of just, I guess, abortion and degeneracy, we also have this clip from Paul Joseph Watson. This is a whole new level of depravity. Yeah. I'm going to, like, viewer, viewer discretion, discretion. is advised. Definitely. Yeah, seriously. Um, He discusses something that I wish I didn't know this. I was a more innocent person, like, yesterday before I saw this clip. But there are actually some people who their fetish is abortions, like impregnating their significant other and then aborting the baby it, it sounds ridiculous but it's a real thing i'm not going to say it's like as widespread as feet for better i can take that how you will but it's uh, there are people out there who do this and we have that clip as well did you hear about this new sexual fetish couples repeatedly getting pregnant then having multiple abortions what a time to be alive question regarding abortions and breeding fetish I have a female friend who has a really powerful fetish for breeding. She has never used any type of birth control. She is with a male partner currently who is just like her, into breeding, and they've been practicing their fetish for quite a few abortions. I know this fetish. My girlfriend and me have the same fetish. My girlfriend enjoy her pregnancies, and she enjoys the abortation. Her preferred date for the abort is between 20 and 24 weeks of gestation. I enjoy it to make her pregnant, and I enjoy the time of her pregnancy. She has no menstrual period, and she is sexual, very active. Sexuality without prevention is very emotional and inexpensive. In the last ten years in our relationship, we have done seven aborts, and my girlfriend is pregnant again with a little girl. Abortion fetish is a great method for birth control. Do not be angry about your girlfriend, but let them enjoy their pregnancies. This is what a baby looks like at 20 weeks. That's halfway through the pregnancy. They have ears, toes, fingers, they feel pain. It is good and rare to hear of a couple, both men and women, where both members are into abortion and pregnancy. This is a wonderful and potent example of personal power, where sex meets violence and creation combines with destruction. Thank you for sharing your exciting romance and would like to know about how this latest abortion was for you. 
I can imagine that it's a very bonding experience between you and your partner. Deliberately creating a baby, letting it almost fully develop, then wantonly murdering it to satisfy some deranged sexual fetish. Wonderful! I feel like even if you are pro-choice, like, I think we should all be able to agree that after, I would say, max two elective abortions, you know, when the doctor's in there, he just ties the tube. It's just like, all right, you've had your chance at being a responsible adult with, like, a fully functioning reproductive system. Uh, we gave it a shot. Clearly, you're not able to handle this responsibility, so let, let's just end it there. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess, don't, don't worry, anyone watching this, that is the worst thing we are going to show you for today. Um, all right, so moving on to the next segment, something a little bit lighter, thank goodness. We have uh, the Young Turks and Tulsi Gabbard and Dave Rubin. Uh, and again, for anyone watching this, Dave Rubin is coming to Blaze TV. So if you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to do that. Um, now, I'm not a fan of the Young Turks. You may have been able to just guess that based on my political opinions, but I do subscribe to them. And I think it's important to watch them, actually, just to get a different perspective also great content. Um, but the other day I saw this video from them in my sub box and I, I thought like, man, I just, I have to say something. So recently Tulsi Gabbard was on Dave Rubin's show, which is really cool, by the way. Congrats to Dave on that. Uh, and he's also actually had other presidential hopefuls on his show. Yang and uh, Marianne Williamson. Are there any others? I can't think of any. Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, I think, was supposed to go on his show for a while. But then uh, Twitter, woke mob, kind of scared him out of it. So he, that didn't end up happening. But uh, Tulsi Gabbard was on recently. If you haven't seen that interview, I highly recommend it. And in this segment, we're going to be responding to the Young Turks analysis of that interview. So we have a little bit of, like, response video inception. We're responding to the Young Turks' response to... Dave Rubin speaking with Tulsi Gabbard. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is an interesting figure, in my opinion, because if you look at her on paper, she's a woman. She's mixed race, I think Samoan descent on her father's side. Uh, she favors Medicare for all, pro-choice, has voted to increase the minimum wage. She's an environmentalist uh, in favor of criminal justice reform. She pretty much like ticks almost every pro-progressive uh, policy that I can think of. She's well-spoken, she's charismatic, like on paper, I would almost think that she would be a Barack Obama 2.0 sort of thing, but women, so even better. Um, but the thing is, if you look at how establishment progressives like the Young Turks treat her, they hate her. They, they, they're demonizing her nonstop, and it's, it's the darndest thing. Um, because they, she's been smear smeared as being anti-gay, and keep in mind, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton used to oppose same-sex marriage, too. But, like, that's one of the charges that she keeps getting. Uh, she's been called pro-Assad, secretly conservative. I've seen people call her a Russian agent, unironically. Um, I think it's mainly because she rejects identity politics and, like, this anti-Americanism that we see sweeping the regressive left. It's very strange because I would like to think that you can still be progressive without being, like racially divisive, resenting American and Western history. I think Tulsi proves you can, but it's almost like people at the Young Turks seem really dead set on dead set on saying, no, you cannot. Like, this is the only way to do it. And it just so happens to be the ways that tend to alienate the most people. So um, here we have the Young Turks just reing over Tulsi Gabbard speaking with Dave Rubin. We have the first clip here. And I think one of the things that's happening for, for sort of mainstream liberals, let's say not progressives, but sort of old school liberals, and then pretty much everyone on the right, is they're watching the candidates, the Democratic candidates, and there's this sense that they don't really love the country. Like, they really think it's so fundamentally broken or wrong or historically awful or some version of that, but that doesn't come across with you. I, I That's am not unabashed. even a question. No, I'm just handed this up. I am unabashed in my love for our country. It's what's motivated, um, you know, these major decisions that I've made with what I want to do with my life. And I retweeted one of your last tweets, which was, a, you know, like a 30 second clip where you talked yeah. about freedom and liberty and things yeah. like that. I love all those words, yeah. but those words now have been really associated with the right and not with Democrats. Like, do you find it odd that it seems that? The Democrats aren't embracing those things. There's, there's a weird running from them. I'm disheartened by it um, because of all of those who have sacrificed for our freedoms. Because the way he framed that was progressives don't love America. Do you agree? 
She and, basically said yes. And yeah, she took the bait. Yeah. And by the way, so loving a country just means never critiquing it, never criticizing it, and, and showing a blind love and, you know, like just a blind loyalty to it no matter what. We're not allowed to find, you know, the genocide of Native Americans questionable in this country's history. We're so, not allowed to talk about slavery. We're not allowed to talk about, yeah. you know, what it was like before the civil rights era. We're not allowed to talk about what it's like now for a lot of people in disenfranchised groups. I gotta say, I agree with Dave Rubin there. Uh, I don't doubt for a second that Tulsi Gabbard is a patriot who loves her country. And I mean, it, it's, it's nice for me as someone who is not a progressive, criticizes progressives a lot, to be able to look at someone who is of that persuasion and say, you know, I still think you're a good person. I still think you love your country. You're trying to do what's best. To me, that, that shows that she has really good character. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, uh, Anna and what's that girl's name again? The other one? Emma Vigiland, I want to say. Uh, yeah, so the the other girl who's not Anna Kasparian, I'd never seen her before, but she she's obviously not a Tulsi Gabbard fan, and I don't get how, you know, they can act so shocked when kind of Dave Rubin and Tulsi Gabbard talk about the idea of progressives not loving or not being as patriotic. Um, I'm not saying that, like, every progressive hates their country, but I think especially among the far left super progressives, there is this kind of sense that, oh, you know, you're not the most into... The US. I also think that they mischaracterize what Dave said, though. I think yeah. that Dave said there's this view from people on the right that progressives don't love America. Oh, he yeah, didn't he say yeah. directly progressives don't love America, that's but that's true. what they claim that he said. So I think that they would mischaracterize them in, in speaking true. about him. I, I didn't get that as well. But I mean, so what's funny to me is that I love how Anna, even in indignantly defending the idea that she loves her country, can't help but list her grievances with it. Like, she, she can't help, but, you know, I can, I love my country, so what if I criticize it sometime? So am I supposed to be okay with, like, Native Americans being killed and slavery? And like, whoa. Yeah, exactly. No one said that. Like, right. No one said, of course you can criticize your country while still loving it, but the way I kind of see it is, it's like, okay, you know, say you're dating someone, and it's like if your girlfriend or boyfriend, anytime you talk to them, is nagging you, criticizing you, giving you a list of things you need to improve upon, giving you a list of things you've done wrong, and then eventually you go to them and say, hey, um, you know, I kind of feel like maybe you're not so into this relationship. And then they went, whoa, where did you get that? Like, where, where are you getting that from? Why would you think I'm not into you? It's like, because all you ever do is complain. So of course you can criticize your country with st still being a nationalist or patriot or whatever, but it's like, we're just kind of reading the overall mood that progressives have given us. Even like, Anna herself in the same segment. Um, you know, if, if all you ever do is call the country racist, say its founders and its history are racist, half the people in it are racist, deplorable, sexist, the system it operates under, like, capitalism, a, a, a republic, whatever, that's immoral, yada, yada, yada. You can't be surprised when someone goes like, oh, so I, I take it you're not super into the country then? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get why she's so shocked by that. Um, but yeah, I think Tulsi Gabbard is right on the money when she says it's concerning that it's that, that sentiment seemingly so popular in the Democratic Party. Uh, we have another clip of them discussing, what is this one? Oh yeah, immigration. So immigration, I think there's a general sense that the, the candidates, the Democrats are basically trying to outdo each other for open borders, something like that. Um, a, do you think that's a fair way to start the question? And B, where, where do you fair. sit on that? Uh, I, don't, I don't support open borders. Uh, without secure borders, we don't really have a country. I think there's a few things that we've got to do when we're talking about immigration reform. Uh, one is we've got to have secure borders. This is not uh, Trump's wall from sea to shining sea. It's about seeing, again, what makes sense. You know, I look at things from a practical, um, objective-oriented standpoint. I'm a soldier, so I look at what's our objective? secure the borders. In some places, it may make the most sense to have a wall or some kind of physical barrier in place. In other places, it won't make sense. So you use technology and use all the other tools that we have ultimately to accomplish that objective of yeah. security at the Wait, borders. If you were an actual progressive and you went on that show, you would balk at the notion that Democrats are in favor of open borders. No one has said that. 
ever. And any person that's going to go on a right-wing talk show and listen to that talking point who identifies as someone who's on the left has to just sweep that away right away and say, that's not what we're talking about here. But no, she agrees with the framing. And perhaps that's because she voted present on a Republican bill that said we have to support our ICE officers and make sure that we don't abolish ICE when people like Beto O'Rourke voted against that. So when we're having a conversation about progressive policy when it comes to Tulsi Gabbard, there is red flag after red flag after yes. red flag. There are a lot of things that I don't agree with Tulsi Gabbard on. Uh, abortion, healthcare, minimum wage, um, I mean, almost every domestic policy issue, essentially taxation and all that. But she does seem very reasonable on border control. And it's weird to me that it's become a partisan issue to discuss enforcing a border. Um, and, you know, the woman from the Young Turks, Emma, she can act all indignant, again, that someone would dare suggest that progressives are for open borders. But it's like, here's the thing. You, you may not say you're for open borders, but when any time someone mentions any border control measure, you sh you shut it down and say that it's racist. Concentration camp. Yeah, concentration camp. Um, you know, ICE are Nazis. Like all, all of this rhetoric. Like, name name one border control measure you're for. If you're not for open borders, I honestly cannot think of the last time I heard a Democrat, aside from the ironic clips of Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Obama from like before Trump, uh, talking about how they would be in favor of like you know some fencing or whatever. Uh, you know, lately I can't think of any measure that's been proposed that has to do with border security that the left is okay with. So, I mean, you know, you can say you're not for open borders all you want, but when you say, okay, you don't want a wall, you don't want ICE to exist, you don't like deportations, uh, even when it's of people like MS-13 members, you don't want to decrypt, or you want to decriminalize illegal border crossings, all right? You want to provide free education and healthcare to illegal immigrants, and it's like, like, what, what else are we supposed to take from those positions? I don't get it. I think the only border that they care about is Mexico's border. Yeah. Right? Like, we have to respect the Mexican mm -hmm. nation and their border, but the American border is open. Yeah, like, it is totally porous. Also, Palestine. You can't, yes, yeah, yeah, can't yeah. touch that. Um, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, to me, like, hearing Tulsi's response, it's like, you know, you know maybe while some places, let's use technology and all of that, like, it, sound, it sounds reasonable. And, I mean, Bernie Sanders, he's someone who is a Democrat and is also at least... You know, he, he doesn't seem to be as far gone with open borders as the rest of them. He says, like, oh, no, we'll have border control. He doesn't ever mention anything that he's for, though, any policies he supports. At least Tulsi Gabbard is saying, this is what I would do. This is what I would support. And and I, I like that. So, I mean, it, I don't know. It kind of seems to me, at least, that the Young Turks just have a bee in their bonnet with Tulsi Gabbard. And it's so, so strange because I think for a lot of people, myself included, seeing Tulsi Gabbard, it was like a nice reminder, like, oh, yeah, like, not every left-wing politician is crazy. Like, we can stop calling each other evil and secretly racist and going to destroy the country, you know, all that rhetoric, and we can kind of just get back to policy. Like, we can just be fellow countrymen who happen to disagree yeah. with each other on tax code. That seems like such a simpler time. And I was, like, looking forward to that. But then seeing how the left-wing has reacted so negatively, the establishment at least, it's really confusing. Um, okay, so here's our final clip we have, and it's my personal favorite. Because apparently Tulsi, because she is non-interventionist, is actually anti-Muslim. And that's why she doesn't want to go to war with them. We have that. And I really supported her anti-interventionist foreign policy until I took a further look and realized that a lot of it is based in dislike of Muslim people. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that's evident in her vote to uh, ban Syrian refugees from coming to the United States. Um, it's evident in the fact that she was the only Democrat in Congress who was willing to go uh, see Benjamin Netanyahu speak before Congress uh, in his disdain for the Iran uh, nuclear deal. And imagine if Elizabeth Warren did that, seriously. Pretending as if Tulsi Gabbard is a progressive is ridiculous to me. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like pretend like I'm buying into it. Are there some progressive issues that she's, you know, signed on to here and there? Sure. But if you look at her overall record, you cannot tell me that she's a progressive <laughs> when she's rubbing shoulders with Narendra Modi, who turned the other way as thousands of Muslims were raped and murdered in, in the Gujarat riots. Is I mean, come on. Or going to <laughs> fundraisers hosted by right-wing Israeli groups yeah. when yet again, what's it called? 
Christians for Israel. Okay, we're still having a conversation about the progressivism. It's funny because I'm old enough to remember when under Bush, wanting to go to war with Muslims meant that you hated them. But now, because Tulsi Gabbard is also like, hey, you know, I don't know about all this regime change. It means she actually hates Muslims. So it's, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, like, what's that? that, Catch-22? Yeah, Catch-22. It's it's like whatever you want to do means you hate Muslims. Very, very confusing. Um, So, I mean, it's, this is, I, I think, the one progressive talking point that the Young Turks wouldn't be able to avoid is the fact that Tulsi Gabbard is anti-war. Because I remember for a time, like, especially, again, during Bush, when it was, like, the the progressives, they were like, no, no war against that. And that's actually something I agree with. Like, I'm pretty dang non-interventionist myself. But it's, like, now, because Tulsi has those same views, they're calling her an Assad apologist. Um, and it's, it's like, look, I personally don't believe that just because you've like had diplomatic talks with someone that automatically means you condone everything they've done like i don't know what these people expect like as a government official are you supposed to just i mean i guess they would like that just blacklist anyone you don't want to talk to and that will certainly make it better and then yeah i don't know it's like regime change unless you hate muslims or because you hate muslims who can even keep track of it anymore um yeah so this I don't agree with Tulsi Gabbard on most policy. And it's funny, if you watch her interview with Dave Rubin, it's filled with people saying, you know, I don't agree with her on everything or even some progressives who maybe do. But the consensus is that she seems like a unifying figure, someone who has, uh, you know, love for the country, a lot of integrity. It's just so strange to see them throw this hissy thing. And she's also, she's someone that's interested in kind of bridging a little bit of the divide between the left and the right. But they were criticizing her for that as well, right? They They were very upset at the idea that the left would have to concede some of their... How dare she want to work with across the aisle? Yeah, they'd have to concede some of their dogma in what would be, you know, called a deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, the country moving forward together. And it's like, but you know that if she she would say that like this was non-negotiable that that she'd be called a a tyrant or something like that so it's like eh, you can't win um you know i she's not gonna win the presidency dnc is making sure of that national media is making sure of that what i would actually like to see and what i kind of suggested on twitter tongue-in-cheek but actually serious is that you know now that john bolton's out i would love to see her as national security advisor that'd be so cool i think she'd be good at that because her foreign policy i think is pretty solid you know i mean i think she's a little bit during 2016. yeah 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 i agree with that I, I would love to see that. And I, I had some people say, like, but do you know her stance on Medicare? It's like, do you know what a national security advisor right. does? I think she'd, she'd be good with that. Um, so now this is a segment on Bill Burr. And I'm kind of, I don't really want to talk about this because it's going to get me in trouble. You already know why. Um, yeah. Well, uh, there's a couple of It'll get me in trouble, too, because... Netflix, yeah. but, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, they, you know. they're tough with the copyright, but all right. Bill Burr comedian has a new netflix special out it's called paper tiger it was released like yesterday yeah yeah um it's shaping up to be it seems every bit as controversial as dave Chappelle's sticks and stones um so the disclaimer before we get into this this is why like i'm almost hesitant to talk about this but okay i'm not a i'm not a bilber fan okay he's not my cup of tea uh as, as i don't actively dislike him it's just I don't find him very funny, and I feel like I can't talk about this comedy special without getting that out of the way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I've watched this special. I watched the one before this. I was also on Netflix, I think the one that came out in 2017. Um, some people have said I need to watch his older stuff instead, like that that's where the, the real good stuff is, but I don't know. Like For me, it's just like it's very angry rant guy style that's um, kind of his thing he's kind of the angry boston irish yeah see thing, i didn't you know? know he was from boston before the special but then someone mentioned it it's like i have no trouble believing he's from boston yeah having no, he, driven there he embodies boston yeah and i love Definitely. boston beautiful city right it's but also i i see that but uh, also their drivers are called mass holes for a reason yes yeah so. yeah you guys need to chill it so, with the so people like him driving i could totally see that yeah you know, just, uh, <laughs> Um, so anyway, in this special, Bill Burr, gosh, and it's funny, like, all of the controversial stuff, I think, is really in the first half, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's really front-loaded. I was like, wow, he's just hitting all the talking points. He's yeah. just batting them freaking really out is. of the park. It's crazy. Um, he gets, what, Me Too, male feminist, cultural appropriation, political correctness, and it's all just like, bam, 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 bam. Um, and it's funny, like, uh, Shuan had kind of mentioned this as well, but it's his takes, like, again... I didn't find it super, like, groundbreaking, but she did say, like, his takes on this, they're politically 
incorrect and stuff, but it's almost like 2015 Twitter takes a lot of the stuff. Uh, for a lot of them, I, like at the start, I was like, wait, that's a boomer meme. Yeah. You know, like that's, you know, um, that, but, but a lot of it was refreshing too. And a lot of it was actually good. You know? Yeah, a lot of it was good. And actually, um, we have this one part that I did find quite funny. And uh, incidentally, it's also quite politically incorrect. It's about, uh, you know, kind of like me too and affirmative consent. This is this is one of the good clips, in my opinion. No means no. That's another one. No means no. It's like, no, it doesn't. Look, look, no means no. No, that means no. All right, but no, stop it. What are you doing? Oh, my God. You're being so bad. Stop it. No. Yeah, that's not a no. That means I want to do it, but I'm afraid you're going to judge me. So I'm just going to make it look like it was your idea so you don't figure out that I've already performed this act with 40 other I thought that was good. And like, he, he's, he's right about that. People can act offended, but I mean, it's true. That's kind of what Henry Cavill got in trouble for saying, isn't it? Like, uh, for a lot of people, like, mm. dating, the fun is almost in the chase. Uh, so, but like, if you operate in the mentality of like, affirmative consent, then it's like, y you kind of lose that. Yeah, I don't know if it was, in that, I don't think we had it in our clip, but there was someone in the crowd that yelled out. Yeah, like, how like, about you ask for consent? How about you ask for consent? And then that was one of the better parts of the special where, where Bill just bounced him out. For, yeah, he was like, yeah, because minute. that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, you were clearly not listening <laughs> if you think that any of this related to not getting consent. Um, right, exactly. Oh, the Me Too movement happened. Now I'm finally going to start thinking about consent. Yeah. Right, yeah thank you. you yeah, know. so many rapists out there, exactly. actually, because they were like, oh, here, watch this video about don't rape people. They're like, oh, I understand. Now, before I was just, like, really confused how this was supposed to work. But, yeah, that, that was a good segment and um yeah so this came out just this this past tuesday and so i was kind of looking at all the reviews coming in we don't have any because it's so new we don't have anything out from like vice or vox or salon or the people right. who might have the most Nothing delicious juicy. Cakes. we're too far ahead of the curve this time it's, yeah uh, i know um but i was kind of looking just on social media people's reactions um overwhelmingly positive uh like sticks and stones although i i agree with that a lot of people are saying that dave Chappelle's was better which i would agree with i love dave Chappelle. i, I like bill burr but i would probably in dave Chappelle's. that was one of the funniest ones i've ever Same. seen in yeah. my opinion that was terrific you and I, but, I sorry go ahead <laughs> <laughs> but i do think and i'm wondering almost like when because I didn't know Bill Burr's thing was being released until recently. In fact, Same. until he came on Joe Rogan's podcast the night it was being released. So I, I'm wondering if it's almost like a one-two punch in some degree where like Bill was like, oh, this just came out? I'm going to, you know. I don't know because, I mean, they, he clearly... Like, people were saying, like, did Bill and Dave, like, kind of coordinate this? It's like, right. because even though it's coming out now, like, this must have been recorded, like, ages and ages ago. Like, the turnaround mm. time is not that fast. So, yeah. um, but I, I thought it was really interesting how, like, yeah, both of them together. People did kind of bring up the thing, though. It's like, Netflix is sort of, they're playing both sides right now. It's yeah. like... I think some people are like, oh, yeah, good on Netflix for having this. And it's like Netflix also has like a, a whole catalog of SJW stuff. This is the stuff. exception. Yeah, this far. is the exception. I think they're just going with whatever I, I feel, makes them money. I feel people are saying they're yeah. like, finally, some media that's just not kowtowing to this small group of radicals. Right. Yeah. But and, and you could see like he'll openly make fun of feminists and say they're not as smart as they think they are. Yeah, you Or know? The, like, his part about male feminists, I thought was really great. Oh, it's not yeah. groundbreaking. We've done videos about it, but it's like, yeah, they're like slimy slimy guys most of the time um yeah so i overall i mean again bill burr's not my, my cup of tea but i like i watched it it's like oh okay um so i was looking at the reviews most people loved it but uh I, of course what people were kind of noticing and i as soon as i heard him say it i was thinking it too it's like what are the what are the woke people gonna think about this um because yeah he says all that stuff Usually comedians, people in show business, you can't say that stuff anymore. And that's why yeah. it's getting so much attention. Um, but the thing with the social justice crowd is, like, they're becoming self-aware, I feel. Like, they, they're not becoming mm. less triggered, but they're getting to be more aware of how they're perceived by other people, I think. So with Dave Chappelle's special that came out, um, you know, he touched on similar themes. At first, people did try the old racist, sexist, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. Um, but obviously that didn't work because like that mentality is exactly what he's making fun of. So like that wasn't effective. So they kind of pivoted and they were instead saying, oh, um, I'm not offended. He's just not funny. Like, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle is just a dinosaur. He hasn't evolved with the times. These jokes are tired, etc." Mm -hmm. So um, as of, I guess, Wednesday, the special has been out for like maybe two days now. I'm seeing a similar audience reaction from people who I think 
used to say they were for Bill Burr fans. Like, they're saying they're not offended, but it's just not funny anymore. Yeah, definitely. But I am happy that, to me, I, always, I watch Joe Rogan and a lot of people that come on his podcast are comedians. And those are some of the worst podcasts of his, in my opinion, definitely. Yeah. A lot of not funny people that are comics. But um, they're always talking about, like, how... Com like this, the job of a comedian is some sort of like transcendental thing where they're challenging the status quo and pushing the line. And for me, lately, comedy wasn't really pushing the line at all. It seemed like they were very much enforcing the status quo. The yeah. Amy Schumer's of the world, Netflix removing its star system, you know, just like you're like firmly much... part of the establishment. Right, exactly. I'm, but with these last two specials, it's like okay. Finally, they're putting their money where their mouth is. That, yeah. that, that's where I, I, I felt a little bit of relief, a, you know, a breath of relief, definitely. Well, that's the whole weird thing about this really super woke progressive movement is that they like to think of themselves as counterculture, counterculture and the resistance and all that. But it's like you can't be counterculture and have all these big corporate deals, have like essentially all of academia and education, like every HR department on your side and still say like we're pushing the limits because you're not. I'm just sorry, you're not. Um, but we have some, like, takes from just people online. I'm excited to see what Vox says about it. And I will say, like, other articles, like Daily Caller, um, some of, like, the independent blogs, a lot of people really like this. So, you know, I think this is, like, Dave Chappelle sort of thing. Like, I'm not saying that it's controversial because most people did like it, but among a very, like, small portion who also happens to be loud part of the internet it's not going over too well. So here we have the casino man at Bronze Hammer. The good thing about the Bill Burr special is that he was never in half-baked, so there's no pressure to, no pressure to pretend it's funny. Um, so again, like, they're trying to... The, the whole he's a bigot is kind of worn off, so now they're just pivoting to, like, oh, I'm not offended, but it's not funny. And we have this thread that I thought was interesting by someone. Um, I would love to see these pissing people off equals comedy... I think what he meant to type was butt clowns. Make it all the way through Hannah Gads Gadsby's Nanette. You didn't watch that, right? No. Okay. I did. It's not good. Um, you, you, knew, you know what it's about, though, right? I do. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So that, uh, that came out a while ago. People were talking about it last time we were at Politicon. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, like, controversial when it came out because essentially, and I did end up watching it, she's, she's a comic, a lesbian comic from Australia, and... Essentially, what she gives is a lecture on social justice. And, you know, the first, like, 15 minutes, I was, like, pleasantly surprised when I watched it because I went in with an open mind. I was like, it's kind of funny. Premise of comedy completely drops at one point, and she's literally just yelling at the audience about gender violence. Okay, so, um, and it's interesting because, like, that, when it came out, was kind of, like, held to a standard of, like, this is, this is comedy. Like, this is groundbreaking. Um, but I think that goes to show, like, with these people, specifically this guy on Twitter, um, they're not judging comedy based on actual humor. They're judging it based on content and whether it agrees with them or not. Because someone who judges something based on humor, like, I'm able to say, I was watching his special, not the latest one, but Dave Chappelle has a whole thing where he, like, rags on Trump. And I like Trump, but Dave Chappelle is funny, so it made me laugh, so I can recognize that it's good humor. With these people, they're so obsessed with, like, something just enforcing their narrative that it's, like, they can watch um, something like Bill Burr or Dave Chappelle and say, no, not, not comedy, because it upsets them, but then watch Hannah Gadsby literally just yell at people and say, perfection comedy gold it's like no like you you just want confirmation there's bias. a difference there yeah yeah definitely. which is fine i love to be told i'm right too because i am and not everyone is that lucky but it's like you recognize that there's a difference between that and comedy um okay so tony goldmark also continues uh i'm not even real offended really just effing tired tired of all the oversensitive edgelords yeah, the, the edgelords yeah. are the oversensitive ones who hate being asked to improve themselves so much they actually formed a widespread resentment to that request and gone off the deep end with it. Wow, that's a interesting Yeah, you've got a take. weird definition of improvement, I yeah, think. So, I think you'd fit well into the next segment. Yeah. <laughs> so you're defending a comedy bit that sides with a rich, successful actor and craps on quadriplegics because those quadriplegic folks have gotten a free ride for too long. Am I right? Uh, if you really want a world without empathy, be careful what you wish for. And that's just such a strange take to me because it's like, if, if you look at the backlash to PC culture and your takeaway really is, well, you know, you just don't want to be empathetic or improve yourself. You you have lost, like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to that. Um, incidentally, we have 
like, so this guy thinks that Bill Burr was making fun of quadriplegics. We have, I think, the segment he's referring to where Bill Burr talks about quadriplegics. You watch it and you tell me whether you think he was making fun of quadriplegics. You know, Brian Cranston, right? That dude did a movie. He played a quadriplegic. And people gave him <laughs> Be like, why is there an able-bodied person playing a quadriplegic? It's like, it's because it's called acting. You dumb <laughs> See, if he was a quadriplegic playing a quadriplegic, that's not acting. That's just laying there saying that someone else Does wrote. Or, I don't know, watching that, did you feel like he was kind of like ripping off our YouTube videos a little bit? Just like a little bit. Like, I feel like we've made a lot of these same comments over the past few years. I hope he watches the show. Yeah. Hi, Bill. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I thought that, like, that was one of the ones where it was like, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, not the most original take, because these issues aren't exactly that fresh, but I, I thought it was good. He made a good point. It made people laugh. So what I feel like these activists aren't able to distinguish is between, so there he's not making fun of quadriplegic people. He's not making all. fun no. of people who think that you have to be quadriplegic to play a quadriplegic person. Mm-hmm. Very, very different thing. Um, so it, it means like people who say, people who uh, criticize feminism are anti-woman and it's like no feminism is an ideology that is not synonymous with women um you know so many of these people when this special and dave Chappelle's special came out they talk about punching up versus punching down they like they have it in their heads that good comedy needs to punch up not down um first of all that's not true you can punch however way you want even norm mcdonald uh, on twitter he was saying like no that that's not a rule yeah that's like a social justice value that you have, which Absolutely. is fine if you want that to guide your comedy, but that's not something other people have to adhere to. That's not what other people define humor as. Um, so like, A, okay, you don't have to punch any way you don't want to, but also he is punching up, right? Like these activists yeah. who control the media and have the power to destroy their career, if they really wanted to, um, you know, they are the establishment. They It's the same with Dave Chappelle. He was accused of punching down on like marginalized folks because he was, he, he talked about trans people. It's like, no, he, he was making fun of the like LGBT lobby, which absolutely right. is super powerful and is the establishment that is punching up. I wonder if it's the most powerful lobby right now in the United States. Uh, it, it's definitely got to be up there when you just see the amount of, of corporations with the LGBT flag. It's during... like what rainbow corporatism they call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're mad about it too, of course. You know, so it's it's. It's like yeah, you don't it's support it, then that means you hate gay people, but you support it too much. You're exploiting gay people. It's like well, maybe you don't pander to people who are this insufferable companies. How about that? In any case, I think we're going to leave it there for you guys to mull over. And uh, with that, uh, thank you everyone for joining in and we hope to see you next week.